0: Now, broadcasting from inside Furry Heads rent free, he's going to tell you what it's really like to be a furry, and he's not holding back. Get ready for your weekly dose from the prescriber of the hard truth on Unleashed. Here's your host, Lifty Husky. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Unleashed. I am Lifty, your prescriber of the hard truth, and joining me on the podcast tonight is my co-host tex
1: hi how are (laughs) y'all
0: and because it is the final few days before election day we are doing our election day special we are discussing the issues we're discussing the candidates we're discussing the topics that matter especially to everyone not just certain furries just everyone in this election, and what's at stake, and we want to bring in another special guest that you probably heard before. Please welcome Soloson to the podcast. Welcome, welcome Sorry, back,
1: guys. Glad to be back.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're glad good. you're back too. Yeah. Well, I know that you love talking about politics, and you're a conservative.
1: Mm-mm. I, I wouldn't call myself a conservative. I would actually call myself an uh, individualist. Okay. I, okay. I, I yeah. Do ha- I do. I would say I lean towards conservatives currently just because I feel like they're the ones making the most sense. However, mm-hmm. I remain skeptical of any political party, so Okay. I'm politically homeless, but I like to value individual rights and individual freedom. So
0: Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um yeah, sorry for sir, sorry for the no, confusion <laughs> earlier. Yeah. But yeah, I do know that you do like to discuss politics and oftentimes here in the furry fandom it's very difficult For people like us to discuss politics with others in the furry fandom, particularly because a lot of people just want to find an echo chamber. They just want to discuss within an echo chamber politics and political issues and basically to rant on politicians that they don't like. And, um, you know, that that shuts us out. That shuts us out. That basically means that the entire debate is one sided. And it's difficult for us to get our voice across. Not on Unleashed. Tonight, we're going to be discussing politics. And whether you agree or disagree, the best way to voice your opinion is actually go to twitter.com slash and just comment. Comment to what we're tweeting. Comment to our podcast episodes. And then just, you know, say, hey, I disagree. Or, hey, you're a jackass. Or, hey, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. We tend to respond. Nevertheless, we want to get our voices out there because we are not heard. People legitimately do not want to hear what we have to say. Well, not today. We are definitely going to be getting our word out when it comes to these elections. So 2022, uh, the midterm elections, there's a lot riding on this year's elections. We all agree, right? Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely. So let's just get started by discussing... What are the important issues that everyone needs to focus on? Because I feel like conservatives, they have a list of issues that are important. Democrats also have a list of issues that are important. The two lists are completely different.
1: Yeah, which is strange. Yes. Um, Personally, I think the biggest two issues, I think even on both the left and right's minds right now, is uh, one, the hyperinflation that we're witnessing across the country and across the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But also the conflict in Ukraine and the escalation that's going on there and the fear of um, it escalating to an all-out World War III. um, Because a lot of people kind of see how serious it's getting and how much our involvement in that conflict is causing things to escalate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of Americans are on edge, whether you lean left or right. No one likes what's going on over there. And people are feel fearful of that escalating. And then also, again, no one can avoid the issue of inflation because everyone's having to pay for it. Um, yeah. So you have a lot of low income families that are now facing, you know, hardships where groceries now cost almost, you know, getting near that 60 to 100 percent, you know, more cost. Where like for me, myself, I mean, I just went to go buy groceries today, and I bought enough food for maybe four or five meals, you know, all off-brand stuff, cheapest I could find, and it still cost me like $70. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's insane, and that would normally cost maybe around 38 or 40 Um, It's getting ridiculous, and everyone's noticing it. Same thing with uh, fuel costs. Um, Going into winter, people use more fuel and natural gas, and with those resources already... Um, and high demand due to the shortages um, at home. But we're also just going to see that continue to get worse going into the winter. So I think a lot of people are worried in those two aspects. And those are the two main issues. Of course, there's more, you know, but I think those are the two things that are on everyone's minds. So yeah. I want
0: to focus a little bit on the fuel shortages that you mentioned, because uh, there's been an EIA report that has been going out where we are down to 25 days estimated supply of diesel fuel and then once the diesel runs out the economy crashes trucks cannot get their items to stores freight trains cannot move ships cannot be powered up there's quite a lot that is powered by diesel and a lot of people don't realize just how much runs on diesel compared to any other fuel that we have here in america it is concerning to me that it's almost targeted to hit like right before thanksgiving what are your thoughts on this do you know what's what's going on and 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 do you feel fearful about what might happen next
1: i certainly do uh i mean part of uh my expertise is i have a degree in industrial distribution so uh, my job very much uh, entails you know, looking at supply chains, uh, shortages and overages, uh, tracking products through the entire supply chain from the moment they're mined to the moment they're sold on, on the customer shelves. But fuel is quite literal. It literally is the oil to the machine, both figurative, figuratively and literally is the oil, right? Because without it, things start to uh, get caught and stuck in the supply chain. If we're starting to face fuel shortages now, that means you won't be able to meet all your shipment needs, um, which means you're going to have delays in the supply chain again um, with already a very strained global supply chain going on right now with, you know, I mean, we all saw it during the main peak of the COVID pandemic where we had those hundreds of ships waiting offshore um yep. like of the LA ports and things like that coming over from China and you know India and the eastern um parts of the world and even some of the ports on the eastern side were also facing similar situations you know coming in from like the UK and Europe. yeah Um I saw that all going throughout 2020 when I was working uh I worked for Caterpillar so I managed a lot of their uh their shipments going um to international areas as well as domestic. And back then some of the big things that we faced were like um or shipping container shortages, where we had to wait, you know, two uh, to six weeks waiting for just a single shipping container to for us to make our shipments. And now with um, the fuel shortages coming up, you're going to have a bunch of trailers that cannot be hauled due to the lack of fuel. Which means product gets stuck in those trailers. That means you then get another trailer shortage, which then leads to a lot of supply chain um, issues where things get stuck. Um, and some items are not going to make it to shelves and will be lost as a result of this because, you know, not many people who study this topic don't, you know, they don't think about it firsthand. Like they don't think of the surface, like they can only see the surface layer of things. Meanwhile, when you dig into it, you start to realize how serious this is because like, for example, perishable foods, if it's, you know, if let's say you you have a manufacturing line making... A hundred uh a hundred gallons of milk each day, right? I'm just yeah. using simple numbers, right? And let's mm-hmm. say you're normally used to having your full entire shipping fleet that's able to transport a hundred gallons a day. Now what happens when your your shipping um reliability gets reduced down to where oh now I can only ship out 50 gallons a day due to lack of fuel, lack of trailers getting stuck, you know, in places. Now I can only export 50. That means your factory can no longer output what it normally does. So then you have to restrain on that, which then can lead to layoffs and shortages across the country. Because let's say your end consumers need 100 gallons a day. Now they only get half, and it's literally impossible to get that product to the people. And you know the thing is with when you're manufacturing things, let's say you're you know making them you know milk or anything that's perishable. You know once you make it, it has an expiration date. So then all of a sudden you're losing a massive amount of product and it's going to waste. And that leads to the shortages getting even worse. And that also will then lead to hyperinflation where things will become even more expensive. we are already talking about things like, you know, the fertilizer shortages as a result of the, um, Ukraine conflict, because that's where a majority of the world's fertilizer came from was that country. Um, also thanks to um, our current president, we, greatly reduced our our domestic oil production and we're relying on you know foreign oil which made no sense because they said it was in the effort of green um like going green and combating climate change what <laughs> you're doing is still oh, using boy. fuel yeah and now you're burning more fuel to get it here so yeah that makes zero sense um same thing with the pipeline and in keystone right people said it was you know to prevent oil spills even though you're at a much higher risk of causing an oil spill when it's on train tracks or on the road. Ending up in those conflicts, there's a higher risk of it getting damaged or lost. Um, also, you have to burn fuel to transport fuel when it's above ground, but when it's in a pipe, it just gets pushed down the pipe. Yep. More efficient and less fuel being burned, less going to the atmosphere. So, I know it kind of went on the tangent, but wrapping it all up, fuel. If that goes up and that becomes uh, a short uh if it goes up in cost and down in supply, everything relies on that one resource because we are very much an oil-dependent society still. Um, even if you're someone who's very uh green leaning, like you want to, you know, combat climate change and go to all solar panels and all wind, you know, the green dream, right? Yeah, you still have to realize even if you want to reach that, you know, utopia, which I don't think we'll ever really reach. You still have to make steps towards that. You can't make a giant leap without causing massive problems in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Some say, oh, we have to make the change now. Well, guess what? When you turn off the gas and you turn off the oil, people don't get the food they need. They It can lead to starving situations. It can lead to people not having enough fuel to heat their homes in the harsh winter. And most people might say, oh, they'll still figure out a way in the United States. Sure. It might get really really hard. It might suck for a lot of people. You're going to have people not being able to afford anything. Sure, we might, you know, go back into a, a great depression to make this change and maybe you think that's, you know, something that we have to do. But then you also have to realize many third world countries rely on first world countries tra- transportation routes um to bring them supplies. And if we're struggling to feed our own people, guess what? We cut off our supplies to our third world country partners and then they starve to death everything has a trickle effect and not many people realize how sensitive our supply chains are both domestically and globally and fuel is the one thing you cannot allow to get out of hand because it the ripple effects that stem from that are are beyond comprehension of what that could cause oh yeah so i'm already thinking about buying at least a one month supply of emergency food in case supplied um routes get strained to the point to where there's some gaps here and there where I can't find certain things. Like, I'm not saying the United States is going to, you know, completely collapse, because I think we still have enough for ourselves. But then again, you look at politicians who don't really value and don't, like, they don't value America and they don't put America first. They might be sending the resources, resources that we need to other people rather than taking care of our own citizens first. Which is what you're supposed to do as leaders, and that's what's got me concerned um, with what's 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 coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless we ramp up our own oil production now um, to help combat this, um, I have great concerns. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I do too. You know why? Because we need diesel for our farmers; they run their equipment. Yes. Without the equipment, we don't get crops. Crops don't get sent to market. We don't eat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of people, especially those who lean left, I'm, I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm picking you on the left, but this is true. Many times I talk to pe- my friends on the left and they don't think about this. I ask them, what happens when the truckers can't transport stuff? And they're like, I don't know. I, I still know that, you know, we can still get the food on the shelves. And you're like, but how does the food get to the shelves? <laughs> Oh, it comes on a truck? It comes on a train? What kind of fuel do they use? Oh, diesel? Whoa! Like, like it, you don't have to dig back deeper. Be uh, someone who made it their career to study these things like myself. Very much yeah. of this is common sense. Like, you have... Things come from places. How do they get to the new place from the old place? Transportation. What do you need to transport things? Oil. That is just... Hands down, what you need to get one thing from one location to another location. Exactly. And so without yes. diesel, we cannot get the goods to people.
0: And a lot of people really got a rude awakening on just how fragile our supply chain is during COVID when nobody could work and they had all these ridiculous requirements for uh, truckers where uh, truckers have to be vaccinated or blah, blah, blah and we faced a trucker shortage uh in california they were basically giving out uh, licenses to kids as young as 16 to drive these trucks and it's like oh no no i don't want i don't want 16 year olds driving 60 ton death machines in our highways please please california no but yeah a lot of people got rude awakenings right then and there but it still doesn't seem like people still get it
1: it doesn't sink in because a lot of these people that that vote in the in the direction to where they want to continue the lockdowns who are over um protective when it comes to like covid um and who are die hard you know when it comes to committing to the uh the green new deal and you know the the effort to combat you know climate change they're they're so hell-bent on being right and doing those things that they will ignore all the rest of the problems that it causes when you go you know head first into this um rather than taking a moment to think about the consequences of what you're doing um i still have the text messages and tweets from when back when it was two weeks to slow the spread when um i was still in college um and when even when they said just two weeks i said that's gonna cause a ton of issues and then when it once i found out that we're thinking months i was i was texting all my friends both left and right i'm like y'all we cannot let this happen because it's going to cause worldwide issues and we're going to see shortages hyper I, like i listed everything that was going to happen back then back in those first two weeks to sold the spread Told all my friends, what was going to happen if we went through with this and I got called a conspiracy theorist and that I was overreacting and guess what? (laughs) All, all the ones that said that to me that I was overreacting, they don't talk to me anymore. And I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I warned them about the coming hardships that were going to come from this. And they wrote me off as a conspiracy theorist, even though I, that's what I do for my career is study supply chain. I told them, Hey, this is, you know, you cause this to happen. It will result in this. That is literally my teachings for my degree telling me this. This isn't me trying to look for certain, like, look for certain clues or whatnot. I'm like, no, this, I just know if you shut off the supply, you don't get the product. It's, it's simple math, like it's simple common sense like that. But again, people look at the surface level things, they think of uh, at least if Walmart stays open, I still get food. No, you got to keep everything else open. Otherwise, you cause Walmart to not get the supplies that you need.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does shock me how, how people are kind of illiterate on this subject. And I'm glad that we have you on this podcast and you know what to talk about because this can kind of go over my head too. But, I mean, I see so many people that Look at the Walmart and they're so spoiled to think like, oh, the Walmart always has what I need. I never have to go hungry. I never have to go and grouch for things that I need. It's all at the Walmart. I can just get it. And they don't think about, you know, where does it come from when it gets to the Walmart?
1: And also what made zero sense is when Walmart and all these other places were allowed to stay open, but all the small mom and pop grocery stores, all the small pop restaurants they were all forced to close but all the fast food chains oh they could stay open that was and when i heard the term essential worker that made zero sense to me exactly like and the reason why it made no sense to me is a lot of people think oh so we're just talking about things for food things for water okay we just need the essentials right the thing is is every business is essential when you're someone like me who studies supply chains you realize how interconnected every business is When you're someone who looks at you know sales records who sells things to who uh what kind of products are needed in certain facilities not a lot of people do that deep dive thinking (laughs) like for example walmart right Mm -hmm. you 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 you're only thinking about the food right they're thinking okay i just need that one business to stay open well guess what what does walmart need to run they need um they need the places to make new shelves because shelves get broken. They need, mm-hmm. a, a pl- they need plastic manufacturing facilities to make their bags. They need, uh, they, they need uh, the boxing manufacturing companies. A lot of people don't know this. Like a cereal company, they probably have a different facility that just makes boxes that they order boxes from. A different facility to just make the cereal. A different facility to make the bags. And then they set them all to one place and then they put it all together. So when you sh- when you only keep the the food part open, you're you're closing down the packaging. You're closing down the the logistics networks. Like a lot of these major industries that keep every everybody else running were shut down. Same thing goes for like let's say Walmart has to keep track of um all of the uh, like when they print receipts, you got to have a the paper company that makes the paper for the receipt machines, right? And most people think, why do you need to keep a paper company open? That's why. There's so many needs within each building and within each industry where you have to look at all your costs, all the all the supplies that you need to make that industry run, and all those businesses have to stay open. Then all the businesses that you get the stuff from, they also have their own list of needs that they need uh, to keep their businesses running. So you just see how that exponentially grows to basically end up covering every business in the country yeah that's why when i heard the term essential worker i thought someone was smoking pot i was like what <laughs> are you talking about <laughs> i'm like yeah. essential worker that term makes no sense because every business is essential to have our capitalist society run you can't yeah. just down a huge section and then expect the rest of the industries to be fine Everything relates to one another. We're all connected. All businesses work with each other. Um, like a hair salon. Let's say someone still needs to go into work. They still need to look appropriate. Right. Why not keep the hair salon open? Right. None of that made sense to me when they said shut everything down. And I had friends that say we need to shut it down because you can't, you know, risk getting in contact with anyone. Well, that was um, when we still didn't know a lot about the virus. And I, I understood maybe the first two weeks just to be safe but continuing that into the years that we then faced that's how we ended up where we are now and that's how we ended up with hundreds of boats being off the coast of LA supply chain shortages hyperinflation rising fuel costs you know all these things are a result of shutting down and stopping the supply chain
0: yeah yep So I do also want to kind of pivot from this into the rise of kitchen table issues because I'm sure that there's a lot of kitchen table issues that will be at stake in this election that a lot of people don't really realize. And we're talking about everything from like what are school boards doing all the way up to you know the hyperinflation the supply chain shortages that we've just talked about. And let's just talk about the kitchen table issues that are at stake, because I do feel like that's going to be a turning point. And if candidates are not in tune with these kitchen table issues, they have no chance of winning. Like these are these are issues that actually affect people every day. They affect families and people are going to be going to the polls, voting on these kitchen table issues. What are the kitchen table issues that you think are important in this election?
1: I think uh, one, like, like you brought up was like the school board stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is revolving around uh, two major topics that parents have an issue with. Yeah, and that is the the critical race theory talk in schools, as well as the push of transgenderism towards uh, minor students. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I love and respect my friends who are, you know, adults and who are trans. I would do never. I would never do anything to strip their, you know, their rights or take anything from them. You know, I believe in equality amongst all individuals within the country. Everyone deserves respect to, you know, is a respectful individual individual within society. Um, but when it comes to the topic of transgenderism, that is something that is should be reserved for adults, because and that to me reflects all, really on my opinions when it comes to being an individual and me being an individualist so when i see people talking about uh transitioning or being born the wrong gender to minors to me the way i view that and the way many other parents view that is um i was sorry if i made it seem like i was a parent i'm not a parent but like (laughs) parents parents and myself the reason why we have issues with this is because um the way it's seen is that you're robbing that child of becoming themselves. You're you're basically, you know, giving them topics that are too complicated for them to understand. And instead of letting them naturally develop on their own, you're then giving them options that will that are irreversible consequences if you go down those roads. And again, children, you know, you're, t- you're like you're giving these concepts to kids that still believe in Santa Claus. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's there's funny videos on the internet where you ask a kid, what do you want to be a grow up? And the kid responds with carrot. I want to be a carrot. Right? <laughs> like that they, they haven't fully developed what it really means to be something or something else, right? So the way myself and parents view this is that you need to let them develop on their own first. Then once they are an adult and they've kind of been molded into who, um, They're like they're supposed to be, just letting them naturally develop, you know, let them develop their own opinions on the world, you know, let them discover themselves, right? But then once you're an adult, you have the ability to make your own complicated adult decisions that will define the rest of your that will define the rest of your life. Right? Oh yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So even though I'm someone who I I lean or I am someone who believes in only two genders. However, I work with people at my workspace. I interact with people who are trans, and I greatly respect them. I just disagree, and I do—I never do anything to make them uncomfortable, or go and I, I never involve myself in their life. And to make example of this, I actually did have one associate um, at where I work come to me who was trans, you know, discussing you know the things that they were facing to me. Because I was the only manager that was giving them a great deal of respect for being trans. So no. hopefully that lets people know that I'm not someone who will go out of my way to make someone who's trans uncomfortable just because I believe in only two genders. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my big issue with the trans community is this really weird push into grooming children into this before they've become their own individuals.
0: Yeah, that, that, absolutely.
1: That is where most parents are, you know. Most parents, you know, like let's say you're someone who grows up, you turn 18, or let's say you're at the age of like 19 or 20 now. And you're like, okay, I actually want to transition, and the parents are like very much against it. Sure, your parents can have their opinions too, but at least you're now at the age where you can make the decision for yourself.
0: Now, with parents, I'm very, very worried and kind of concerned about all of these parents that insist that their kids need to their kids need to transition and they need to make sure that there are doctors out there that will perform these life altering surgeries that they will prescribe all of these life altering drugs to children to young children before they reach the age of puberty for a lot of parents this is very disturbing because not only that but there are adults in education teachers teachers school administrators principals even school nurses who are in on this and they are insisting that kids be more open about alternative genders alternative sexualities and the idea that they may have been born in the wrong body which i think is completely ludicrous i believe wholeheartedly no child is ever born the wrong gender.
1: Oh, I believe the same thing.
0: That is something that is fed to the child. Like I said, when, when kids are very young, their mind is a sponge. They absorb everything around them. And so when they get messaging from their teachers, from their administrators, from their media, for, and even from their parents that they may have been born in the wrong body... That starts to warp their entire view of the world, and they, they just go along with that. At some point, it becomes an irreversible state. It's just a truth that they accept. It's like the sky is blue to them. The sky is blue, and I was born in the wrong gender. They can't really explain it, but it is what it is because they've been told that for so long. All of these adults that are in on this, they are complicit in ruining this child and making sure that this child makes these life-altering changes to their body and themselves before they even understand or or, are even an adult, which is very disturbing. And I feel like that's a big kitchen table issue that a lot of parents are finally waking up to.
1: Yeah, a lot of them didn't know these talks were even occurring until we went into the pandemic and the parents had the ability to see the classroom because the classroom was in their home yeah and once this was discovered and how broad of a scale this was i mean this isn't just a couple of woke counties that we're talking about this is everywhere i mean Mm -hmm. almost every school you, you, you see this kind of you know agenda being pushed by people and yeah. thanks to other like Twitter accounts, like, you know, lips of TikTok and other uh, platforms where they repost what these these teachers who are very, very left leaning are posting online. Mm-hmm. They're literally bragging about making kids, you know, use different pronouns and different genders. And, you know, they're so happy that that like a third of their class is now identifying as trans like. They themselves, the like the leftist teachers are bragging about this online. Yeah. And then whenever now those videos are being taken and then broadcast to all the all the conservative or all the independent parents or even left-leaning parents who don't agree with that kind of stuff. Parents are united in going behind the fact that we need to stop this. My child's I thought they were going to be able to develop on their own. I didn't know this these kind of conversations were being had with my kid and it's not because the parents themselves are necessarily transphobic or, you know, don't like transgender people. They're just saying, I want to make sure my kid grows up first before they make any sort of monumental, life-altering decisions. Yeah. I need them to be an adult, and I need them to make sure they fully understand this topic before they can make any changes or anything like that.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And um, I also want to bring up this interesting tweet that I saw in passing on the Twitter feed, and I saw like right after Elon Musk bought Twitter, took over, threw out the content moderators at the top, and uh, decided to let free speech reign. Finally, on Twitter, there was one person that that was thinking that Elon Musk was bitter about him losing his wife, and then they also explicitly said Elon was bitter because we transed his daughter and I'm like, hold on a minute. That's an odd thing to say. Like if people truly believe that transitioning is natural and it's because of genuine gender dysphoria, they wouldn't say, oh yeah, Susie over there, she transed me. No, they wouldn't say that at all. And Susie over there would never claim that she transed anyone. It was supposedly natural. So now you're saying, oh, so it was because of you. It's, it is a social contagion. These are the same people who are saying, oh, it's not a social contagion. Oh, but you just admitted it is. And you just said that you are the social contagion that infected Elon Musk's daughter to transition into being a man.
1: But, like... When I never really understood and I still never like I've talked to many people who are trans and I've asked them, like, why is the concept of like. Like a femboy or like a tomboy, like disappearing, and it has to be a full blown transition now in order for you to. Oh, yeah, way. And I saw a really good video that um, Gaze Against Groomers put out there Mm -hmm. um, where it was like two uh, two tomboys who came out and are, like, happy that they grew up and are are still a woman, but they just love doing the things that a man does. And yeah. to me, I was like, what is... Why is that option, like, never talked about in these, like, transgender talks? It, like, never is. It's like, oh, you like to wear shorts and you like to wear a t-shirt and you like to, um like, go play basketball with the guys that all of a sudden, what, you must... Maybe it's because you're, you are a dude, like, why can't you just be like, you just like hanging out with the guys, yeah? And you're yeah. A girl. like, like, why, why is there this very hard push to transition or to change your gender when it's just you like different things, yeah? Like that—that's what never, you know. I never like for me, um, I can talk very, very easily in a conversation where I'm the only guy and it's all the girls. Like I, I'm very comfortable in those environments. I like having those talks, right? Um, like I, would, like I would talk with like my mom and like all of her friends, and like the one guy there, and like, like I, I felt like I was talking like, you know, with my people. And someone might tell me from the trans community, oh, maybe it's because you, you, you like being like a girl, and that's why you relate to them so much. I'm like, or it's just because I like having conversations with people with a little bit of you know different viewpoints and things like that, like. I never understood why just simply liking a a good amount of things from the opposite gender means that you are that gender or means that you should go explore that. Like, And like I said, you have to wait till you're an adult to really understand what it means to really be a man or really to be a woman because you have not had the ability to interact with society independently until you're an adult. Yeah, like you don't know um the kind of options or things like you can explore as a man or as a woman when you're on your own. Like your entire perspective of society can change very rapidly, very quickly the moment you gain your independence, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I went to college, I found like the way I viewed things changed greatly, and now that I'm out of college and living on my own, paying you know for all my expenses now finally. It changes like, you. It changes you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now I'm finally out of college. I'm out of education. I'm fully on my own for almost a year now. And I've seen my opinions change a little bit here and there too about certain things. Right. And to me, to get so deeply like set into. Th- like convincing yourself that you you need to transition before you've had that experience of like being in society on your own. That to me that makes very little sense and I feel like you're rushing any sort of decision like that.
0: Yeah. To exactly. Me, I mean, yeah. I
1: don't think anyone needs to to transition. I'm I'm someone who also believes that like if I had a friend come to me and saying I should I think I need to transition, I'd probably do everything in my power to try to talk them out of it. But then ultimately, at the end of the day, it's their own decision. And I'm not, not going to like stop them or do anything like drastic to do that. And I'm still going to treat them as a friend, even though they go through with something like that. Oh, yeah. Because to yeah. me, I'm someone who likes valuing the individual. And to me, I'd rather you be honest about yourself and who you are. And to me, I don't think transitioning is necessarily doing that. Yeah. And that's just my yeah. own opinion. And again, I'm allowed to have that. And still be respectful to people who are trans. Like, if I come across them, like, I still will use the pronouns and things like that if they're respectful to me. Yeah. Right. I won't. Mm-hmm. A lot of people on the left, I can already hear it, will say, oh, so they have to be respectful to you in order for you to use your pronouns. Well, the way I operate is I always start off with respect towards others. That's the starting line. I'm already over the line giving respect out. But the moment you start treating me with disrespect, um, like, I won't do anything intentionally to piss them off. Um, but I mean, you can't really expect someone to be respectful to you if you're treating them like garbage. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm the same way.
0: Yeah. And I feel like social media has played a big part in that. Like so many people are easily able to just trash talk people and I'm guilty of this too. I'll, I'll admit it. It's very easy to trash talk somebody on social media when you don't have to look at them in the face. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, and it's very easy to say whatever you want. When on social media, you've kind of been coddled to be acceptable. Any views you have, be acceptable. Basically been told to direct all your hate and anger to this straw man that may or may not exist.
1: My, like, for example, when when I make tweets online and I'm like saying the left does this, the left does that, it's mainly the people in power that I'm criticizing. Like, the way I, I, I view it is I'm dishing out the criticism to those in power, making the decisions. Yeah. But then also like telling people like, hey, if you're voting for them, you should really consider this because this is what the leaders are doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? But also, yeah. so like, I usually will make it pretty distinct whenever I'm targeting either the politician or the people voting for them, like yeah. in my tweets. Like if you're somebody who knows me, you can usually tell. Sometimes you can't, um, I get that, you know, but I like if you have ever noticed, if anyone attacks me on Twitter, like you go through all my messages, you'll never really see me dishing out any sort of insults to anyone, even though they might be calling me like a fascist or racist or you know whatever term is popular to use that day. Um, Yeah. Even though I mean, call that, I'm still like, hey, look, I'm only trying to be respectful here and explain the position to you, um, but also hear you out. But sometimes you can't. I I honestly feel like right now, a lot of the people who do lean left, who are still very much like the um, the people that say like every Republican's bad, all the the MAGA Republicans are fascists. Those the people that go to those extremes. I honestly think they are suffering from literally Trump derangement syndrome.
0: Oh, yeah. from the Oh, definitely.
1: Media. Like, they are so brainwashed, and I don't think anything can wake them up. I don't think, if you're still someone who thinks that I need to throw my full support behind the Democratic Party right now, after all the hyperinflation, the yeah. Afghanistan withdrawal, our escalation to near the brink of World War III, offshoring all of our energy production, you know. All, massive crime rates, illegal immigration nearing like just all time highs. like, how can you possibly think that all these things were good? <laughs> like, and it's not only that like let's say it's the border. you might not see that one directly, but things like inflation. you yeah. you can't avoid that. It is something that you have to stare in the face every time you make a purchase now. And you're still thinking things are better now. If you're someone who thinks that, I'm sorry, but I think that you're completely brainwashed if you're someone who says this is normal and this is better than where we were before. And no metric are we in a spot where we are better than mm-hmm. where we were three years ago.
0: Yeah, I want to chime in on the inflation thing because I hear a lot the the best argument they have is that well inflation is happening everywhere and I'm like so what so what if it's happening everywhere why can't we get our inflation under control?
1: You want another response to that? Yeah, what's that? What does almost every country back their uh, their assets in? What currency is the majority of the assets in the world backed behind? The dollar. The dollar. So yeah. if the U.S. inflation gets bad what happens to every asset that's backed by the u.s dollar across the entire world
0: it goes bad too
1: it 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 affects all everything everything tied to the u.s dollar and we are the number one currency in the world if we go bad everyone else goes bad and that's why you see a lot of countries like china and russia trying to sell their currency to the rest of the world right now saying hey you see how all your assets um just became hyperinflated and they depreciated in value really quickly because they were tied to the US dollar. Come try the Russian ruble. Guess what? We're backing it in gold. We're not just yeah. basing it all of all numbers on a computer. It's actually backed by something. you're yeah. seeing a lot of countries getting intrigued to now back all their assets in the Russian economy rather than the United States um, economy backed on the dollar. And a lot of people don't track these kind of topics and these issues. And that's also why other countries are now considering dropping the U.S. dollar and when that happens guess what there's new world powers and they are the much more oppressive and you know dictatorship like countries like china and like russia yeah if they get the upper hand and are able to swindle all the other countries or enough of them to their side back into their currency guess what there goes a lot of potential allies there goes a lot of potential trade routes like this is extremely bad. When we just print money like this and our, we increase our debt tenfold, what does that look like to other countries that are looking for a currency to back their assets in? They're going to be like, nope, no thanks. Uh, yeah, That's why you're seeing countries like Venezuela. And um, what's another? Uh, it's another country in, the, I think, either South America or Caribbean that is now um, making a lot of their currency backed in crypto. Because they're oh, losing faith in world currencies. Was
0: that uh, El Salvador that was back in there?
1: I think so. That sounds. I think
0: it was. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. So don't quote me on it. But I, I, I get which one is
1: a country that sounds correct. Um, Yeah. I guess I can check later and post post it on Twitter. I'm not saying crypto's the solution. I'm just saying the reason why countries are now losing faith in U.S. dollars because we just print it out of thin air and we're causing hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. Guess which party was leading. United States to spending that much money. Yeah. Yes, the Republicans signed off on it, but which party spearheaded it? And the Democrats sign. The yeah, Democrats. Democrats. Yeah. Because they think money grows on trees and that it's not tied to anything. Well, guess what? Hyperinflation does one thing it makes the rich richer and the poor poorer. Oh, yeah. Yep.
0: And that dollar that you have in your wallet, I mean, it's, it's only based now. It's. No, it's only worth a dollar because we say it's worth a dollar, or rather, the government says it's worth a dollar. But what what does a dollar buy you anymore?
1: Nothing. Hell, you can't
0: even go to the Dollar Tree anymore and buy something with a dollar because hey, inflation kind of ticked that up too. It's now a dollar twenty. Everything in the Dollar Tree, the dollar twenty five now.
1: And people think, oh, that's just a minor increase on things. Well, going from a dollar to a dollar twenty five, that is a twenty five percent increase. Now, if yeah. everything in the economy goes up by 25%, let's let's say you're used to spending $1,000 a month. Guess what? Now it's $1,250 a month. Yep. A lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. and mm-hmm. A lot of their salaries aren't growing as fast as the inflation. So guess oh, what? Yeah. Now you're in the negative every month. Yeah, People are going into debt. But who yeah. doesn't have to worry about that? The rich and elite.
0: And that number, that 8.3, 8.4% inflation, that number is... <laughs> general inflation so it's all the inflationary indices like average together so it doesn't really accurately reflect the inflation that you may see at the supermarket with like milk or eggs which can be like 40 to 50 percent higher than they were a year ago compared to like lumber which probably gone up four percent it averages out to like 8.3 percent but at the same time when you go to walmart or to Safeway or wherever you get your groceries, you see a huge sticker shock at the milk aisle. You see a huge sticker shock when you get meat and vegetables. I mean, inflation is something that is hitting everybody hard. And to just say, well, everybody's suffering from inflation, it's just, it's reductionary. And it, it's defeatist. It's absolutely defeatist. It's like, no, there is a solution to inflation. Unfortunately, our leaders are not really that that interested in tackling it as much as we think that they are.
1: Well, when a majority of all the politicians are rich millionaires, they don't really have to worry about it.
0: Exactly. Them. Yeah. Yep. That's another way to think about it. You ever see how so many people say that, oh yeah, we need to vore the rich. We need to eat the rich, blah, blah, blah. But they never think about the politicians who are rich assholes who are sitting high on the hog. They don't have to go to the supermarket to do grocery runs. No, they get it delivered. Like, motherfucking Stenny Hoyer. I told you about Steny Hoyer, Tex. Yeah, you did, and my god. Ugh, and how this, dude, how this dude would get up on the podium and would complain about going to Charlotte Hall and seeing that the store sh- shelves is like, the, the, the shelves are, are bare, and I'm like, yeah, dipshit, who do you think did that? Oh, you did. Like, give me a break. You, you, you're really shocked at the bareness of the shelves, and yet you don't ever once think, well, what, what happened? Let's go call Scooby-Doo to solve this mystery. I mean, <laughs> come on now. This is insulting
1: yeah, at the this point. the people voting to halt the supply chains, the ones wondering, how did nothing get to my grocery shelf? Because they don't understand economics and they don't understand how supply chains work. They don't. We
0: talked about a lot of that in the first half hour. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it really shocks me how many furries are actually like single issue voters. And I, I hate single issue voters. There's got to be more things that are affecting your life than this one issue. And you don't even care to vote or to research the candidates on these one issue like you know you've got to be a multi-issue voter you've got to be informed and the
1: thing is they're willing to sacrifice some of the main qualities that they used to have like for example the left like to claim they were the anti-war party guess which party <laughs> is now screaming from the rooftops yes let's back ukraine let's get World War <laughs> you talk know, about double standards they are it's insane. Like the people that are still putting like the Ukraine flag in all their Twitter profiles or saying, I stand with Ukraine. Y'all are begging for world war three. If you're doing stuff like that, that is like, look, this is another hot topic issue that is going into the midterms. I think it's something that we need to talk about before this, uh, this podcast ends today.
0: Yeah, but absolutely. The,
1: the thing is, is what was Ukraine known for before all this started? Oh, it was known as the massively corrupt government, where a bunch of foreign uh, investors were dumping their money, so it couldn't be tracked, right? right? And yeah. also, weren't we also begging Ukraine, hey, you, I we think you should join NATO. Why don't you join NATO? And they said, no, nah, I'll pass. Nah, I'll pass. Fast forward a couple years later, Russia's like, hey, uh, you're gonna be us now and you know they go oh shoot um uh hey nato can you like help us out and we're like sure thing buddy well no that is what nato is for it is it is a preemptive thing you join so that way russia doesn't even think about invading you now that they have russia's trying or ukraine is now trying to expedite the process to get nato to allow them to join uh to allow them to join nato and if that were to happen, that's instant World War Three. Yep. yep. And yep. the thing is, too, is people don't get this. People think, oh, we can send them all the help and the arms that they need. What? What do you think? Ru- like, do you think Russia's just sitting there not realizing? Like, where are all these weapons coming from? Where's all this strategic resources <laughs> oh, coming yeah. from? Especially when the United States is now bragging that we are helping coordinate the attack against Russia, killing Russian. Uh, Citizens, you know, and it's Russian soldiers, right? We're literally backing yep. like, say, hey, guess what? Ha, United States, we told these Ukrainian troops to go kill all those Russian soldiers. Ha ha, suck suck at Russia. You think Russia's like, oh, hey guys, the United States? They're still technically not at war with us. They're only giving them the guns and pointing them where to shoot. That's it. Um, Jeez. they're not at war with us. We're literally at war with Russia right now. Yep. Yeah, just not technically announced it yet but we are (laughs) yeah yeah
0: sorry (laughs) that's 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 that's, that's Zelensky like laughing at us because we rewrite all of their checks and we're basically fighting his war
1: yes and not only that all the money all the arms that we're sending to ukraine the vast majority of it is not being tracked and it's completely lost
0: Yeah. yeah Yeah, so I think CBS News this- they actually they actually ran a story on that. I think on 60 minutes a while ago and they tweeted about it and then they and then when Jimmy Dore decided to tweet about it, they pulled the tweet because it's like, "Oh shit, we just said the quiet part out loud." And it was basically <laughs> showing that only about 30% of all of the aid that we are sending to Ukraine is actually going to help with the war effort. So, like, what is happening to the 70%?
1: I'll tell you what. Proxy war. That's what mm-hmm. this is. It yep. is a scam that's done by the rich, elite, and powerful, where they say, Hey, let's let's drum up a new war and we'll send all this money to it. We'll say, Oh, we're sending all these billions of dollars because you need all you need high amounts of money and a lot of arms to send to fight, a big, scary power like Russia, right? Mm -hmm. You send stupid amounts of money, stupid amounts of supplies there. And guess what? They profit off that. Yep. The 70% that's not being tracked. That's arms that arms and supplies being resold on the black market, making tons of money. And you also have money that's being sent there into bank accounts. That's because it has to go to another bank that's being sent to another country. And then that, gets redistributed into assets that eventually make the people back home in the countries where they're sending all this money more rich and more powerful, right? Yeah. So like let's say you're a a corrupt politician in the United States, you're thinking, oh, if I can get this bill signed to send all this ridiculous amounts of money over there, I'll tell them behind closed doors, once it gets there and once it can't be tracked anymore because you're in a war state, I need you to resend that money into the assets over here outside of Ukraine and by putting the money in there, I get rich. And Russia is probably doing similar things with this war effort. You know, Oof. they're they're gaining that they're gaining the physical assets by invading and taking over part of Ukraine. I don't yeah. know if they're going to take over all of Ukraine, um, but I feel like they're going to keep some of the things that they they've gained from it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And dude, honestly, this whole entire propaganda that's being pushed by both Russia and the West is so absurd it like i don't know how people believe this like you have um people like online i see it on twitter and elsewhere where they're laughing at russia saying oh russia can't even take over ukraine they're so dumb they're so stupid they're gonna lose this thing no problem you see it like on the late night shows where they're like oh we're gonna kick russia's ass that's all propaganda neither (laughs) side wants this to fucking end I'm sorry yeah. for the, the foul the foul language there. No, no, like, no. You're no, fine.
0: You're absolutely fine.
1: No, but literally, it's propaganda, and you're falling for it. Like that kind of talk is saying, like, oh, we got this in the bag. We don't have to worry about it. But we're actively killing Russian soldiers, and you don't think there's going to be repercussions for that? This is just a giant scheme to send over, you know, billions of dollars to make the rich and elite more powerful here at home. And people can't see that if it was really a war where we truly cared, yeah, it probably would have been over by now. Right Yeah, telling me that with the might of NATO backing Ukraine and Ukraine backing itself, that we can't push out one country. Mm -hmm. No, if it was an actual conflict, we, we could have pushed them, pushed them out. But the reason why they're not technically doing this is because they know if it's a U.S. A soldier shooting a U.S. gun, killing a Russian soldier. Then it's U.S. on you know, versus Russia, but as long as it's a United States guy telling the Ukrainian soldier with the American gun to shoot in that direction and kills a Russian Russian soldier, then all the people in media and all the politicians can be like, "We're technically not at war. No, we're at war." Yeah. Yeah. And the people that still continue this uh, to push the support for it. Allowing this stuff to escalate to the point to where now we have footage of Russian nuclear missiles being relocated to certain strategic areas. Y'all are begging for escalation and things to get much worse and much more people to die. I know it's not what you want to hear, but NATO and the United States needs to back the hell out of Ukraine and say, sorry, bud, we warned you. You needed to join NATO before this all started, but we cannot risk our citizens and our people from uh, being thrown into the threat of a World War Three, because y'all and your corrupt government decided not to join NATO before this all started. That was y'all's choice. Y'all deal with the consequences. We'll aid and help anyone who needs to flee the violence because um, the government wasn't willing to step up and do what was necessary for the people. Yes, we'll take on the, the refugees from Ukraine. We'll vet them, we'll go through the proper refugee process because that's what the refugee status is for. When you're actually fleeing violence like that, fleeing a war, and you, you're tracked, you're vetted, you're allowed into the country to seek asylum, that's a proper process we can do. We'll do that for those people. But as far as us stepping into your country, giving you supplies, I'm sorry, we can't. Yeah. Because I need to protect my citizens and de-escalate this as soon as possible. That is the right move to do. We should not be in Ukraine. And the fact that we're still doing this and the fact that there's still, you know, millions of people in this country and in NATO countries still saying, I stand with Ukraine and believing the propaganda and pushing this has me extremely concerned. And they're also the same people worried about World War Three when they themselves are buying into the propaganda and pushing for it to happen.
0: Yeah. So So, before we wrap up this episode, we're just wanting to talk about the current house and senate and gubernatorial makeups of america because it is going to be a very very exciting race this year to watch of course all 435 seats in the house are up for election and uh, some of the senate seats are up for election um i just want to i can't talk about all of the races that we're probably watching but i'm sure that there's one or two either within our own state or our own district or outside of our district that we are really looking at very carefully. And what are those, what are those races that we're all looking at? Uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Soloson.
1: One that I'm looking at isn't actually the state I now live in. I live in North Dakota right now. Yep. I'm not too worried about that one, you know, going red. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I wish it wasn't an incumbent that was here. Uh, I would like someone new that might be able to push for better change. Um, However, the one I am concerned about is my state I'm from, Texas. Um, I'm concerned about the governor race there, where it's Abbott versus Beto. Um, I'm very concerned because I love my home state of Texas. I didn't leave because I didn't like Texas. I just wanted to try new things and seek opportunities. Um, And I've always thought about maybe going back to Texas one day. I I love that state, and I know if Beto were to become the governor of it, I could easily see that state slipping into just utter hell. Mm, I mean, you're talking about a man who straight up said, I'm going to take your guns to the state that's known for being like probably the most crazy when it comes to the Second Amendment. Yep. Right? Yep. And I can see tons of internal conflict happening within that state if he's elected. He is in no form or way, a representation of the majority of people in Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The only way I see him getting in is due to all the people fleeing Democrat states coming into the country that haven't really assimilated yet and understood the values of you know Texans who have lived there, um, voting for policies that they think will be better, but will just end up making Texas just like the states they fled from, that mm-hmm. and the illegal immigration going on oh absolutely i i know there's large amounts of illegal immigrants that vote in the texas elections yep um, yeah. because pollsters who do lean very left will encourage them to do so um like i had a a friend uh a friend's mom um they they were my roommates in, throughout all of college when she was still on her green card because um their family immigrated here from algeria um Because she was a minority and she also wasn't, you know, like basically the left thinks anyone who's white and Christian is going to vote conservative for some reason. Um, But she was, you know, an Islamic woman from Algeria and she uh, wasn't a citizen yet. She was on her green card still. And she had friends that were trying to convince her, hey, why don't you just go vote um, down at the office? And she said, I'm not legal to vote yet. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. Just show them your uh, one of your IDs and they'll let you vote.
0: Oof. Yeesh. And that
1: was in the Houston area. Um, yeah. And Houston's also been trying to fight to get more of those drop-off areas uh, to stay open um, for the election. So I'm, I'm very much concerned about um, voter integrity in the state of Texas. Most people didn't think it was a state to worry about. But then again, you have, hmm. all you have to do is look back at the race against Beto and uh, Cruz, and that was very narrow, way too close for comfort. Yeah, um, yeah it was. I think a lot of it has been due to uh, corruption and uh, voter fraud within the state, because it's seen as the state that can't flip blue, because that's sup- it's the super conservative state. That's how Fox News likes to paint the state. It's like, oh, it'll never turn blue. And they like to paint it off as a fantasy. But if you're someone who doesn't pay attention and doesn't look at the grassroots movements happening there, it can happen and it can happen through legal ways. And it'll, again, it'll be like 2020 where it's too late to make any meaningful change.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Tex, uh, what's, what are the races that you are watching <laughs> either in Texas or outside of Texas? Uh, I was watching the Arizona uh, one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um,
1: my lady Carrie Lake. Oh my! Oh God. yes, yeah. I love
0: Carrie Lake. I absolutely I, love. I Carrie love her Lake. too. Yeah. In fact,
1: you uh you showed me that video earlier today about uh, her in that press conference.
0: Yeah, she was. Uh, yeah, she tweeted out this video where she calls out to their face the media and their lies, their slander towards innocent people like Kyle Rittenhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, calls it to her face. You know, calls it Russiagate bullshit. And I'm like, yes. Yes, this is who we need. We need somebody based like this.
1: Yeah, we need more of her. I like... Well, because the thing is, she is from the media. She worked at media yeah. for her entire career. She yeah. knows exactly all the techniques that they're willing to throw at her. Yep. She knows how to react to every single one of them and always remain on top. Oh, Every yeah. time. Yeah. Like, whenever she... Was being accused as an election denier, right? And then someone asked her that question, and then oh. she had one of her people who wasn't the adrenaline give her documents saying, "Oh, I mean, this giant list of like a um 150 in- uh uh 150 times where like Democrats were saying the 2016 election was stolen, or how about Stacey Abrams saying the election was stolen in Georgia." You know? <laughs> yep. Ooh, yeah you had all these examples of them all being election deniers and it's okay to question the election it's your ability that's why we live in a in a country where freedom of speech is the thing you're allowed to question the governance of your of your state and your country mm-hmm. you're allowed to investigate you're allowed to look at these things i don't yeah. blame democrats for wanting to like look into 2016 they have the right to do it do i think it was kind of silly do i think it was a bunch of propaganda that was easily a they were easily able to debunk sure and I'm sure the left says a lot of stuff about, you know, the 2020 election that's all oh, easy to debunk. My argument there is there wasn't much investigating allowed to happen. Um, the point is she points out the double standard when one side does it versus yes. the other and makes the media look dumb as hell for asking that question in the first place. And yes. that's what I like about her. She knows exactly how to step <laughs> around them and combat them mm-hmm. every single time and always end up on I top.
0: absolutely love that. I mean, I was just telling text if this woman does not win the governorship there needs to be investigations yes, there's absolutely I mean, there's, there's there
1: can her opponent is so deathly afraid of uh, debating her she she won't debate she missed the deadline and Carrie Alleg was like look name that time that place she even wrote her a letter saying i will let you write up the questions <laughs> that the debater will ask <laughs> literally any thing that you could think of that you might need or want to control i'll give it all to you because i'll be prepared no matter what and our opponents still denied to have a debate that shows how scared and frightened the other candidate is and the only person with any meaningful media presence right now is carrie lake oh yeah so if she doesn't win it's like what the heck like that makes zero sense you see the differences in the campaign rallies you see how many mm-hmm. will show up. You see the amount of online support that her, her name mentioned in the media. There is so much more presence with her there that I don't see how you cannot win. Yeah, like it, that, That's another election where it's like, if, if it doesn't go a certain way, you, you got to ask questions.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And now... Uh... For me, I I live in Maryland, it's a deep blue state. Well, actually, not all of Maryland is blue. I've talked to the text about it. It's like a Democrat sandwich, like the Western side of Maryland and the Eastern side of Maryland, they're very conservative. But right there in the middle where the urban parts of Maryland are, Baltimore, Prince George's County, Montgomery County, this is what carries the state because this is where the population centers are and that's what flips the state blue every election so i don't really expect a lot of change and i don't expect maryland to ever flip i expect the governor's rates to go for westmore and it's not because i like westmore i don't like westmore but i'm saying that because that's how marylanders vote i can just kind of you can just see it from space but there is something interesting in Maryland's 6th district where david trone might be dethroned by the Republican, Neil Parrott, thanks to redistricting that district so that it includes more Western Maryland voters who are more conservative and thus is kind of evening the playing field. But the spiciest election that I'm watching is actually in the state, one state above us, and that's of course the Pennsylvania Senate race between Dr. Oz and John Fetterman. If you have not watched this debate, everybody in Pennsylvania needs to watch the debate because this has got to be the biggest election debate blunder of all time. John Fetterman just absolutely loving I, I all the questions.
1: And I, I, stand for
0: <laughs> I mean, I was watching it with text, and every time he would, every time John Fetterman would stutter, I would play the sound. Because I could just see I could just see John Fetterman's brain just like having a meltdown every time and it's just like I I, I. I Fetterman.exe Yeah, Fetterman.exe has crashed and I'm like, I can't believe okay, that look. this race is so close and it's on the side of Fetterman.
1: Okay. Let's make one thing clear. I don't think any of us are laughing at the fact that he about his restrictions and his ability to speak Mm -hmm. it's not the actual thing he's faced where of course if you're going through a stroke i'm not going to laugh at someone who went through that yeah what we are laughing at is that there are still people that think that someone with this disability has the capability of holding an office where you need to properly communicate your ideals because you're representing millions of people yes like i understand you know the left looks at it maybe like through a side of you know Empathy, and you know, it, we don't mind there being you know someone who's disabled in office, and it's like, look, there's a difference between someone like Greg Abbott, who needs to be in like in a wheelchair but can still mm-hmm. cognitively function and talk um articulately, right? Mm-hmm. Versus someone who literally cannot match certain words and thoughts together and can't speak and respond yeah. properly. Like, there's there, there that's a difference. Like, yeah, you, you're not going to make a person who um let's say has no arms and legs right be like an olympic swimmer like in the and not and i'm not talking about the Paralympics, like but the regular olympics right Mm -hmm. you want to do that to someone like you're not going to throw them into a scenario where you know they're going to fail yeah like where it's literally impossible there's there's ways to Maybe maybe in a couple of years, hopefully Fetterman recovers because I don't wish any, you know, ill will upon someone just because they disagree with me. But in the time being, I'm sorry you are not qualified um, on a health level to be a representative of the state of Pennsylvania. I'm yeah. sorry. Like what to me, I feel like it would have been a drastic move, but it's the morally correct one. And that is who is our next runner up for the Democratic nominee? throw them in last second
0: Mm -hmm. i want to make a also a point about that because i really wish that john fetterman when he had that stroke and thank god that he he survived it and he's you know up and and walking and talking because strokes change people i've had family members who have had a stroke and it changes people they're not the same person after a stroke John Fetterman choosing to run for Senate after that stroke, uh, I mean, I, I I don't get it. I, I truly don't get it. He should have considered his own health first and also thought about his family, his kids, you know, being with them, Here's and making the sure too, that he recovers.
1: If he would have stepped down during this race and been like, look, to, to my supporters and you know those who have backed me, I'm sorry, I cannot run this, you know, this time around. Um, hopefully I can get back to a place where I'm in better health and potentially could run again in the future. But as in my current state, I need to focus on my health and recover first. And that is me putting the people first because I will not be able to currently lead you and um represent you uh, in in Washington. And yeah. mm-hmm. therefore, like I know this can mean great um results for my opponent. But ultimately, it's still a better outcome than me being your representative in this time. Yeah. And then, if he, let's say he gets better and he's actually able to articulate himself, you know, more cleanly and, you know, communicate effectively in the future and he runs again, I think you have a much better chance because then people will be like, hey, remember that time when he sacrifices his campaign for the betterment of us, right? And now he's willing to come back when he's ready. I think he would have had way more support in the future. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Probably would've, yeah. Um, yeah. but the fact that he's saying, no, I'm just gonna continue to go down this path and put Pennsylvanians at risk of not being represented correctly in Washington, to me, that's that's selfish.
0: And Thank I agree. You. I and agree. I, I don't know
1: if it's really him even making those decisions. If it's someone else who's like encouraging him to to continue this, just because they don't want any chance of Oz winning the election, if it is someone else encouraging him to do that, then well, then shame on them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. priority is the Pennsylvanians first.
0: Yeah. And whoever is unfortunately making Fetterman run, whether it's John Fetterman himself or his family or, his, or the Democratic Party of Pennsylvania, I don't know. But they're the ones who are making John Fetterman's health uh, issue worse. in this. Or, yeah. And they're making his recovery worse. Yeah. They're making it worse for him and they're making his health an issue in this election so for for all those people you know his health is fair game in this debate we can talk about his health we can talk about how it's affecting the race we can talk about how it will affect his ability to lead in the senate because that's all very pertinent issues especially if he becomes elected and he has a decent shot of being elected given that Pennsylvania started uh, early voting back in September. And I'm sure after that debate, that disaster of a debate, people were looking, think, thinking, why did I vote for this guy? <laughs> you know, you were, I'm sorry, but a lot of people in Pennsylvania were hoodwinked into, like, shooting from the hip when it comes to voting, especially with such a long, early voting period. And they didn't get all the facts. They didn't get the debate performance. And now they're regretting their decision because they would have voted for Oz after after that debate.
1: I honestly feel like there should be there shouldn't be early voting. There should be an election day and it should be a national holiday. Mm -hmm. That as long as you're at a facility, um, before the the voting period ends, that you have the right to stay there until your vote, you know, gets counted. Yeah. Like like for example, if you get in line and you're in the line for that booth, and let's say the voting poll closes in thirty minutes, I think as long as you're physically there at the time before um, it ends, that you should be allowed to vote. Like, yeah. you continue to let the line and pass when it's supposed to close, but as long as you're there at the place before the closing time, they just close the line, right? Like, yeah. and make it a national holiday, no work that day, everyone's focused to go to the polls, right, instead of all this early voting where technically there's still no national holiday for it yet. Yeah. That way, you don't have issues like this where something comes out, you need to change your vote, right? because the election's still going on, you have ability to change it, but you don't. Mm-hmm. So I think having it on just one day and you go at it and it's a protected day through a national holiday, I think that's the best way to avoid these types of situations where people oh, get hoodwinked, yeah. where someone can hide off in a corner for a while then say something completely opposite or contradictory to what they were campaigning on or something completely changes the, the name of the game and you have no ability to go back and change your vote. Mm-hmm. Me yeah. just to be consistent, make it one day everyone gets to go vote, and there's no exceptions to why you can't.
0: Yep, well, anyway, that's time. Thank you very much, Solosan, for uh speaking with us tonight on Unleashed. Just for our listeners, if you want to like throw some uh some links so that people can get in touch with you,
1: yeah. So if you ever want to uh talk to me, I do my best to try to reach out to those who message me, but um, I mainly post my thoughts and opinions on Twitter which hopefully will now become a uh, more free speech platform due to the must takeover, which was, Oh yes,
0: hilarious. absolutely.
1: Yes. Um, but my at there is at Salosen, which is Nicholas backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so at S A L O H C I N and then Burb B I R B. Um, that is my, my handle there on Twitter. So if you want to message uh, me directly or leave a comment, um always happy to reply to those.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to like and comment on our Twitter page, twitter.com slash Lifty Unleashed, and also subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode on whatever podcasting platform that you listen on. We are in about 20 different podcasting platforms, so it's very easy to find us on the podcasting world. Just search for Unleashed with Lifty Husky. Anyway, thanks again for joining us. Please go out and vote. It is very important, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, it is very important that you go vote. So please go vote. Grab some friends. Take them to voting with you. And please, please vote. Don't blow this off. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next week. Good night. Follow us online on Twitter, twitter.com slash Lifty Unleashed. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Unleashed is brought to you by executive producer Brandon Squire, hosts Lifty Husky and Yote. produced at the FJB Studios, Seagirt, Maryland. Opinions expressed on this podcast are the respective views of the hosts and guests only. Unleashed!